0: Well, we are uh, 10 days into January and, uh, of the new year, and a lot of the optimism that a lot of our, our, our friends and colleagues and, uh, and uh, classmates um, had on December 31st, that's waned quite a bit in the last 10 days. And perhaps even for yourself, it's been a rough first 10 days of 2020 as we, uh, you know, a lot of the sentiment on December the 31st was kind of like, goodbye 2020 and it's a new year. And then the new year came and a number of things hadn't changed and a number of the challenges are still there. And some of the challenges uh, that we have as it relates to the pandemic and the lockdowns and the restrictions are uh, are still there and the numbers are worse. And for all of these things have caused uh, a lot of people, a lot of grief, a lot of sorrow, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. And... Uh, so we are going to start a series today on some things that as as you are, as a church, you're in my prayers every day. And we're going to start a new series. I don't know how long the series is going to go. But it's going to be on uh, perseverance and patience and peace. Uh, these three things that the gospel offers to us as a church so that we can um, live in these difficult times, this difficult age that we're in. Uh, with perseverance and patience and peace. Um, I had a, uh, we had a men's coffee yesterday, and uh, we did it online, of course, and uh, which of course is not a, a very easy format to do anything, but we had a good time, it was great. We had adult show and tell. We brought some things that represented our personalities to the call. We, we had a great time of sharing, learning things about each other, Fun, fun stories, funny stories. And uh, it was a good time. And uh, what what I brought to the call was a racing helmet, because uh, I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a car freak and I like cars. And, and I used to do uh, a little bit of racing. And I remember one time I was on the track and I was following this car and I drove through this huge cloud of blue smoke because their engine exploded. And uh, you don't see that every day on the street, engines exploding. Uh, but it happens on the racetrack all the time. And the reason is because there's tremendous pressure for a long period of time. If you have an, an engine on the red line for a long period of time, something's gonna give. And uh, But that doesn't happen when you're going to Zares because you're not putting that much pressure on your car. Now, culturally speaking, it's like the souls of our friends and our neighbors have been on the red line for a really long time. Folks are um, very much in need of perseverance and patience and peace, and they're grappling on to all sorts of things to acquire those things. For us as the children of God, Uh, we turn to our Savior so that not only do we enjoy the comfort uh, that the gospel brings to us, but so that we can be ministers uh, in these difficult days uh, to others. So we're going to turn this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read the first 12 verses together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ In them was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. This is God's Word. Now, the author of this is Peter. He's a fisherman turned apostle. His failures are well documented. The Bible is very gritty and it doesn't shy away from the shortcomings of the author of this book. He's got lots of recorded failures. And so he has personally witnessed um, the paradox of joy and pain and glory and suffering and uh, good times uh, with Jesus and hard times uh, with Jesus. He's experienced it all. And so he knows firsthand that suffering has a way of making us nearsighted. And the problem with nearsightedness, for those of you who maybe have nearsightedness, is you know that unless something is right up close to you, you just can't see it very well. And the thing with suffering is that the answers are never up close to us, ever. And so suffering has a a way of causing us to be uh, nearsighted and the gospel rescues us out of this. Now, the church that this was written to In the original context, they had some real severe day-to-day problems, just like you and I have severe day-to-day problems right now. Uh, They struggled with class divisions and uh, race divisions, and there was economic stress, and there was political volatility, because this is being written to people who were uh, under Nero as he was rising to power in Rome, and uh, so that was not a great time to be a Christian. And so they were just living it with uh, all sorts of tremendous pressures. And Peter is aware of all of this. They, nobody had Cappadocian or Bithynian health care. They had real-time, day-to-day concerns and problems. And what Peter uh, refers to them as, what the scriptures give us, is it calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. You can see that in the text there. It means the, to be elect, for those of you who are new uh, to the Bible um, to be elect, it means you're God's people. He's saved you by his grace. He's He's uh, chosen you. And so th- these are God's people who are dispersed and they're dwelling in places where the way that things are conflict with who they are. That's very much like us. We can look around in uh, this time, this age that we live in here as Canadians and we can say, okay, well, the way that things are are not really conducive with, with uh, who we are. And that might pertain to Our ethics how we understand things like sanctity of life our views on marriage or sexuality could be uh, things as it pertains to um, our philosophy for uh, caring for the poor caring for uh, those who who've been oppressed and we can see discrepancies between how we understand um, the goodness of God and the wise guidance of his word and we can maybe see contradictions in the city or the nation in which we live we can see the way things are in contradiction with the way we are. And that's really what it means to be this exile. You, are, you, are, um, you have a dual citizenship and sometimes there's conflicts with your earthly citizenship. And so this theme of being an exile, uh, exile and homecoming is a massive biblical theme that spans both Testaments. And you can see as you read through the scriptures that the people of God in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and you and I today um, were given constant reminders on how there's a conflict between the way things are and and uh who who we are as uh God's people. This world that we live in of course is beautiful and it is broken. And so as we uh look at this text, uh, we see that the problems of that church in some ways we can relate to as today's church to say, you know, we are a creation that is very much in need of uh of recreation. And so what Peter does here is he draws their attention to the assurance that comes in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, realizing that with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and with the inevitable return of Jesus Christ, uh, that's going to bring with it a restoration. But we have to live in the here and now. We have to live day to day. And so the tone of this text as we unpack it, you're going to see that Christian faith is not simply saying, hey, we know things are terrible when you look out your window, but don't worry one day. You know one day Christ isn't going to return and but and, and you know just grit your teeth until then that's not actually what is given uh, to the church, and it's not what's being given to you and I. When you look at the first two verses of this passage what what Peter does is he sort of front loads his thesis he front loads the letter with a succinct, sobering summary of god's plan, and you can see it right here: the father's foreknowledge, the son's sacrifice the spirit sanctification. This is really intentional language. He's not just being churchy. Sometimes when you're in church, you have churchy language and instead of saying um or hmm or uh-huh, we could just throw in some Christian language until we get to the next sentence. That's not what Peter's doing here at all. Uh, for those of you who are new to the scriptures, what this means is the Father's foreknowledge, foreknowledge is to foreknow, but it's not to know in an intellectual sense because in the uh, in the hebrew culture which uh these folks uh, uh peter and and uh those, and many of those who he was writing to who were scattered in their culture to know somebody was like an intimate knowing so it was it was like to love and so the greek uh, word for this could be translated not foreknowledge like i know things in my head but to forelove somebody so our god is a god who has foreknowledge he foreloves uh his children he foreloves um, those that he draws to himself by saving grace, and so uh, the significance of that is that the Father, uh, you know, is loving his people, you and I, ahead of time. The Son goes to the cross to uh, die an atoning death for you and I in His time, and the Spirit is here now, sanctifying us, empowering us, renewing us, restoring us in our time. So this massive Trinitarian tidal wave that Peter puts at the beginning of the book. It's really intentional because if you read the rest of the letter this afternoon, you could probably do it in about 10 minutes, you're going to see that the implications of the Father's love, the Son's sacrifice, and the Spirit's empowering presence, they play out in very practical ways. How do I live as a citizen? How do I live in relationship to the government? How do I live in relationship to my spouse if I'm married? How do I live as a single person with a divine dignity as I've chosen singlehood as a way of life? And so how do I then live in unity with my fellow brothers and sisters and in the city. So there's all these implications to really um, the living out the implications of God's plan. And so what Peter is doing here, right at the beginning, before he even gets into the, the text, is he's saying, guys, I need you to zoom out. You're suffering, but you need to zoom out. Uh, Church, uh, you know, you're surrounded by constant conversation, the moanings and the groanings as we're in lockdown here in southern Ontario. You need to zoom out. You got to back way up um, so that you can find perseverance and uh, patience and peace uh, in the goodness of God so that it can actually go from your head to your heart and out through your hands in very practical ways on Monday. So he says, we got to zoom out and think about uh, these things. And uh, if we don't zoom out and we don't think about the Father's love and the Son's sacrifice and the Spirit's indwelling power, if we don't sort of recalibrate our meditation, um, then the, you know hope is going to kind of drain out of us like a child pulling a plug in a bathtub uh, every single time the world goes sideways, which today seems like uh, every six hours. I mean, the, the hope and the perseverance and the peace, I mean, there's a constant opportunity for that to get sucked right out of you. And so when Peter says this phrase, may, the gra- may grace and peace be multiplied to you, this is not just Hallmark stuff. Again, if you read the rest of the letter, he starts to unpack the implications of that grace. He unpacks the implications of that peace. A lot of the New Testament letters start that way, grace and peace. This is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel does. Um, This is what Christ has done. And now as we read out the rest of this letter here is how this is going to sort of play out in our lives. And so it's uh, quite good news. Now, um, what Peter recognizes this church needs very much uh, what you and I need right now. And that is an immovable reference point. Uh, We need an anchor. Uh, In days of volatility, hope and hard times, um, we need an immovable reference point Otherwise, our mental and physical health is going to be at the mercy of the moment. And so Peter is writing because he doesn't want the church at the mercy of the moment. And so we need that immovable reference point. Think about how um, hope has gone up and down and up and down in the last 10 days of 2021, right? A vaccine is here, people's hopes get rises. Oh, the vaccine is rolling out slower than we thought, their hopes. And they get angry and frustrated and then the vitriol on the internet just sort of spews forth. And then, okay, actually, uh, well, guys, we're gonna have to lock down, uh, but oh, the, uh, maybe the lockdown for the elementary schools has to go a little longer. and With every change and shift, um, if your hope is in anything smaller than Jesus, it's incredibly fragile, it's incredibly volatile, and we're at the mercy of the moment. And uh, Peter does not want uh, the church to be held hostage by circumstance. And the scriptures do not want uh, us as God's people to be held hostage by circumstance. And so we are um, uh, given this picture uh, of, of the grandness of the Trinity to sort of recalibrate us. Because if your hope and your focus and your meditation, um, the way that you center yourself every day, every week, If it's anything other than the foreknowledge of God's love and the sacrifice of the Son and the indwelling of the Spirit, it's anything smaller than that, um, there's going to be very little perseverance and patience and peace that's available to you um, because you're anchoring yourself to something that's just quite simply too small. And there's not enough breathing exercises in the world. There's not enough lo-fi hip-hop playlists in the world. There's not enough Netflix stuff to distract you in the world. There's not enough aspirin, weed, Alcohol, pick your—there's not enough in the world to quiet the soul if you're at the mercy of the moment. So we got to zoom way out, and that's what this text is encouraging us to do before we zoom in on Monday and deal with what we got to deal with. So this leads us to sort of the first thing that I want us to look at. Uh, We're going to look at two things um, in the text this morning. The first one is really that there is no amount of suffering that can steal gospel hope because— suffering only solidifies gospel hope. That's sort of his first point. And when you kind of summarize um, the first few verses that we read here, you look at verse three, he calls it living hope. He's of course referring to um, our God who is alive, our savior who is alive. And this living hope rescues us when we're spiraling into sadness. Living hope infuses us with perseverance and patience and peace. Well, how does it do that? Um, It does it because When we are going through hard times, like we are right now, it is very human to listen to our runaway hearts. When we are going through hard times, our soul is so out of peace that our vices come to the rescue. (laughs) Oh, you're feeling distraught and anxious and worrisome and sad and, you know. um, Here, this is going to make you feel better. Our wayward hearts, our wayward desires will come to the rescue every time to try and quiet our souls. And so because we are always sort of have this proclivity to listen to our runaway hearts, the text is saying, you no, know, you have a living hope that can actually reorient your runaway heart. And so, you know, the starting place is the worship, examining the worship that fills uh, the heart. The passage is calling us to divert our attention away from, uh, you know, our runaway hearts, not listen to them, but actually fill our hearts, which is why in verse six, he uses the phrase, you know, in this you rejoice. So when you get when we get an announcement in a week, or whenever it is that the province meets again, and the government says here's what we're doing next, and there's going to be all manner of thought and opinion on how uh, uh, whatever that whatever that decision happens to be, um, you know, and I'm just like you, I have like super strong opinions on absolutely everything. I just try my best to spare you of those on Sunday mornings, and like let's just stick to the cards here. But what what uh, what we get in the in you rejoice is there's got to be a trust transfer. It's a call to a trust transfer. In this you rejoice. So yeah, we've got decisions to make day to day that play out in practical ways. But at the end of the day, what is uh, what is enabling you to sit down in your chair uh, at the end of your workday with a sense of perseverance and patience and peace? It's going to be the location of your trust, and so. Again, we've got to zoom out. And so, uh, this, this provokes us to ask ourselves a question. If, if, if the text is saying, in this rejoice, um, I have to ask myself the question, what am I already rejoicing in? Um, what am I already sort of meditating on, centering, trusting in? Uh, because if every day, um, the way in which I sort of orient myself is to sc- scroll endlessly through my newsfeed, spend copious hours and hours every day um, having my thoughts and views formulated by uh, social media, good, bad, or indifferent, um, that is anxiety on demand, my friend. I mean, I want to be informed with what's going on in the world just as much as you do, but there's a difference between checking in with what's going on in the world and having uh, the views and the opinions of the world uh, injected into you like an IV, because it's constantly connected to all manner of thought and idea. And that is uh, going to be just a, a recipe for anxiety in the soul. And so this call to rejoice, when he says, in this you rejoice, it begs the question, well, what do you do? I mean, when life is another gong show, if you're the first century church and Nero is in power, and you're like, how, how does any of this make sense? Do you Have you seen what this dude is doing in Rome? Or today, when the man and trying to navigate through this pandemic, where everybody... And their brother has a view on what we should be doing on Monday. Uh, how do we navigate all of this when it seems to be a gong show? What is there to be, what is there to rejoice about? When you look at the flow of the text, what it doesn't do is say, hey, church, count your blessings. Just count them one by one, exude some positive vibes. Just try and be positive, you know, uh, get a piece of paper. Uh, oh, I forgot, paper uh, hasn't been invented yet. Um, make a vision board out of gopher wood. Write down all the things that you're thankful for. Uh, if it's uh, if you're uncomfortable, go over to the thermostat on your wall and change the temperature. A billion people in the world can't even do that. So, you know, just be thankful. You have food. You have a nice house to be quarantined in. Right? He doesn't point them to things. And so you and I aren't going to find any more perseverance, patience, and peace by pointing ourselves to things. That's why this entire thing, this, the entire beginning of this letter is like, church, you've got to zoom out. Uh got to absolutely zoom out. Peter knows the circumstances and, um, and what the scripture teaches us is that, um, you know, when we're, when we become weary from dire circumstances, uh, it's very easy to think that the savior is just to get a better set of circumstances. But what the beginning of this letter does is it draws our attention to the father who transcends all circumstances, the son who came physically, practically into very dire circumstances and the Holy spirit who is with you now divinely connecting you to your savior, who will empower you through your circumstances, the very real tangible things you have to deal with on Monday. Um, It dials us out that back. uh, Sorry, it dials us back uh, that far. And so when Jesus Christ went to the cross to deal with the worst circumstance, which is of course the inevitability of death, through his resurrection, we get a teaser trailer. The resurrection gives the church a vision and a picture that there is actually an eternal set of circumstances. And we forget that in the day-to-day and the challenges that, that are, uh, you know, 2021 Southern Ontario in a lockdown. We forget that there is actually an eternal set of circumstances. But we have to dial back to realize, now hold on a second, um, you know, nothing diffuses your worry and your anxiety and your distress like knowing how something is going to turn out. And so you see the resurrection is a reminder of how things are going to turn out. That doesn't mean that we just grit our teeth and have no joy today. It means that knowing how things are gonna turn out has a tremendous impact on today. You know, we have, uh, you know, sometimes you watch these uh, uh, various Netflix series or shows or movies, and uh, sometimes the writing is so good, it puts you in this place of tension, and like, oh, what's gonna happen next? And sometimes the writing is so poor, that nothing really worries you because it's, so, it's sort of so so predictable. Um, uh, poor, poor is maybe the wrong word, but like predictable. For example, if you watch The Bourne, if any of you guys have seen uh, the Jason Bourne movies, you're never really that worried about the guy. You're not worried about him because you're like, this guy can grab a paper clip, a Q-tip, a roll of toilet paper, a Sports Illustrated magazine, and just take out 100 people. I'm just not worried about this guy. And what what Peter is doing at the, the beginning of this letter, is saying, Church, you have to dial out and look at the implications of the resurrection so that you are so utterly convinced of how things are going to turn out that it can actually give you hope and perseverance, a sense of peace for the day so that you can move forward. And in essence, the gospel on Sunday reframes our, reframes our Monday. When you look at verse 4, it says that um, this inheritance of ours is imperishable. It uses the words imperishable. It's undefiled. It's kept Like past tense kept. So what is waiting for you, church, is already kept. And that is incredibly good news because it means it's not pending. It means that it's not your progress this next week of how loving and caring you are that God in the end is going to uh, accept you and receive you. It's not our progress. It's Christ's perfection. And that's really good news when you think about how you and I have related uh, to life and to our neighbor this last 10 months. You know, the pandemic has maybe given us great opportunities, great excuses to hide and shrink back and fade away and be like, well, I don't really like Zoom. It's terrible. So I will guess I'll just see my uh, church community in two years. I'll well, see you guys then. I mean, great opportunity to just sort of shrink away and not see anybody and, and sort of uh, become self-absorbed. Or perhaps it's been a great uh, excuse to sort of uh, have pity parties for ourselves and not be outward folks and be like, Who? I'm going to call this person. Put my hat and gloves on, go have a walk and care for somebody. Perhaps it's been a great opportunity to just sit back and be like, well who's who's calling me? Who's asking me to I hear this preacher preaching every Sunday, but I don't see anybody calling me. My friend. My friend. To the degree that we reach out of our reach outside of ourselves and love and care for each other. To that degree, um, you know, the, the church is going to be a loving and caring community. And make no mistake about it, we fail each other miserably. Make no mistake about it in this 10 months. I'm sure somebody in this church, starting with this guy, has failed you. And yet, though, our inheritance is imperishable. It's kept. Not by our progress, which is not great, but Christ's perfection. Thank God. Because that, that's some examples. But some of us have perhaps been tempted to go the other way. We're so tired and exasperated and frustrated, just like our neighbors, that we're like, you know what, I'm just going to hit the forget it button. We all we all did our duty, but TikTok, it's been long enough. And there are terrible uh, consequences to um, the lockdowns, to our mental health. And it and uh, 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 prevents... Uh, You know, huge challenges for community, huge challenges for relationships, huge challenges for the economy, um, huge challenges for teachers and students, and on and on and on and on and on we can go. And perhaps, like those others, we've just decided to say enough is enough. And uh, hey, if you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. And so, if all the vulnerable and the old people and the people with compromised immune systems got to die, and we frustrate our first responders and healthcare workers, and if everybody who works at Grand River and St. Mary's, has to be exhausted. So be it. We've got to move on with our lives. Most of us are healthy. Come on, it's just going to be two weeks of being sick and then we move on with our lives. Come on, let's just go. My friends, that makes total sense for the culture to sort of speak in that way. But as believers who ought to care about the neighbor, our neighbors and the radical domino effects that all of this is having on everybody, then we ought to raise, raise the bar uh, from the death percentages. I would, I would submit to you that saying most of us are going to live, that's too low a bar. And you, so you can see, I hope I've done a good do- job of thoroughly provoking everybody. I'm probably going to get emails from both sides after this sermon. Fantastic. But the point is, if it, we all fail to be loving and yet our inheritance is kept, that ought to move you because you've not been perfectly loving this last week. Neither have I. You failed this last week, so far, and yet our inheritance is kept. And you're not going to be perfectly loving this coming week. It doesn't look good either. And that's not an excuse. We don't sit back and become antinomian and say, well, who cares? No, we love our neighbors and, and seek the good of the city within the limitations, of course, that we're sort of living in. But the peace and the perseverance and the, the patience that comes is in recognizing that Jesus Christ, the second Adam, has done everything that the first Adam failed to do. And good news, you and I are not the third Adam. And so the first Adam failed to love God and trust God. Jesus Christ perfectly loved God and trusted God. You and I in this pandemic, we are not perfectly loving God and trusting God. We are not perfectly loving our neighbors and yet the inheritance is kept. Now that that alone is enough to just cause us to rejoice all afternoon that our God is that good. And so. Peter uses that bar. He says our inheritance is, is kept for us. And so that's why it is this living hope, right? And so it's not like, hey, sure, there's sorrow now, but don't worry, the sun will come out tomorrow. We have joy now and perseverance now. The simultaneous truth that this passage gives us that we're not waiting for things to turn around circumstances to be good and the province to open up and everybody to be vaccinated and everybody to get back to how life was you know, in 2018 and then say, okay, and now we have joy. And great, now I can enjoy some semblance of of mental health and perseverance and patience. And we don't have to wait for those things because we're quite simply not tethered uh, to uh, all of those circumstances turning around. That's the power of this passage, saying that we can uh, we can enjoy it now. But united to Jesus Christ, we are not limited by having small joys to distract us, you know, from our sorrow or small joys that we've got to rely on. You know, we've got to rely on the absence of conflict for sorrow. But actually what's being offered in this text is a joy that cannot be drowned in sorrow, a joy that lifts us in the face of sorrow. Which brings us to the final thing this morning um, that I just want to draw your attention to, and it 's that the gospel is endlessly good news that never becomes predictably old news now i 'm not uh, you know the problem with the problem with this church is me it 's also you, but i 'm going to talk about me okay so the gospel is endlessly rich because because you 're stuck with me, i can 't always present it as endlessly interesting, but the truth is, it is endlessly rich and endlessly interesting because it says right here in verse 12 that it is so good, the angels long to look on it. So if you log off on a Sunday morning and you're like, you know, that sermon was about a three out of a ten, well, that's, that's a picture of my limitation and failure as a preacher to convey that what is actually available to you is so good, the angels can't stop looking at it. And so that's what you and I got to dial back and zoom out on in the midst of this uh, pandemic. You know, if, it go, if, if things drag on for months and months more before we're back to quote-unquote you know, re- regular life, that the gospel is so good, it is so rich, the angels can't stop looking at it. You and I um, ought then to reorient ourselves uh, in that way. Because what what it means the, aton- the the perfect life of Jesus you know uh, living the kind of life that we were created to live but we're not dying that atoning death for all of our sin and his physical resurrection it means that death is not the end of existence for those of you that are exploring C- Christian faith this morning we don't just we didn't come from a position of non-being for no purpose and then end there. And, but then in the meantime, in between this place of non, these two places of non-existence, we just keep telling ourselves all these things really matter. So let's stand for mercy and justice and recycle our cans, even though we're all moving to a state of non-existence. No, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means we're not becoming a ethereal part of the universe or we're not really ourselves and it's a circle of life situation and we're just sort of cosmic stardust or we're absorbed into the all soul and there's no you, there's no me, there's only us. No, the resurrection of Jesus Christ Christ means uh, that in the end, um, there is a restoration of you and I and this earth, the beauty without the brokenness. And so Peter doesn't say anything abstract here, like, oh, you're going through a hard time, church? Pray for power. Pray for God's power to come down. That's abstract. Jesus is concrete. The man who lived a loving life is concrete. The cross in 33 AD is concrete. The empty tomb in Rome is concrete. The hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, this is concrete. So what Peter is doing is he's saying, I gotta orient you in the midst of your suffering to an immovable anchor that's concrete. You gotta put your hope in that because that's gonna change how you relate to Monday. And so uh, with that, um, I close uh, with this, that um, this is our reality, church, that what God is restoring is, is our reality? When you and I say to our friends and neighbors, when we say face reality, we never mean something amazing. We're like face reality. You know, reality is harsh and hard and not good. But God's reality, the resurrection, is glorious and beautiful. That in the end, you know, every sorrowful thing in in the world right now is a reminder uh, that they uh, that uh, everything that every sorrow and injustice is going to be eradicated forever. And every small joy that you are enjoying in the world right now is a reminder that God is going to restore all beautiful things forever. And so in light of this certain future, may God fill us with perseverance and patience and joy today so that we are moved with compassion, so that we can minister God's love in small, practical ways and share his gospel in this city. Let's pray.